it is a false choice to think I can think about the world or I can think about myself. You can think about the world and you can think about yourself and you're probably much better able to think about the world if you also think about yourself. If you're a creative person, if you're a baker, a dancer, a photographer, a screenwriter, an actor, a comedian, a podcaster, and you want to figure out how to make a living doing what you love, this is the show. This is the show, Don't Keep Your Day Job. My name is Kathy Heller, and I'm a singer-songwriter. I make a living doing what I love, and I want that for you. This is the show that's going to help you do that and give you not only inspiration, but some real-life strategies. This is going to help you figure out how to take your creative passion and turn it into a profit. Thanks to Slack for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Slack is a messaging app which brings together all your team's communications in one place, making work simpler and more productive. Go to slack.com to learn more. This episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job is also brought to you by Away. Away makes first-class luggage at coach prices that allows you to charge your phone on the go. For $20 off your order, go to awaytravel.com slash dreamjob and use the promo code dreamjob. That's awaytravel.com slash dreamjob and the promo code is dreamjob. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. I'm Kathy Heller, and I'm so excited about today's episode because Gretchen Rubin is here. Um, Even my mom was like, Kath, Gretchen Rubin, that's amazing. (laughs) Um, Gretchen Rubin is someone who I've followed since her book, The Happiness Project, came out. She's been on Oprah. She's walked hand-in-hand with the Dalai Lama, and she's had several best-selling books, and we're going to dive into some of that today and her advice on how to be happy, how to live an authentic life that really lights you up. Before we get started, I just want to say a couple things. First of all, I love that you guys continue to join the No Day Jobs three-month challenge. So if you have not done so yet, go to nodayjobs.com and join the three-month challenge. Some of you already have, and I love, love seeing you guys doing that. Basically, what's going to happen is at the end of three months, I'm going to pick several people who've done this challenge to have you on the show as my featured guest, and we're going to talk about what your creative passion is, what you're working on, what your project is, um, and what your process has been. I think that that will be equally inspiring, just as we have people on who have created a career and are already up and running, I think it'll be really cool for listeners to hear other people who are just like them starting out and taking those steps, getting out of their own way and doing things and what momentum is transpiring from that. So go to nodayjobs.com and sign up for the three-month challenge. By signing up, you're going to get emails from me once a week. I'll be checking in with you, asking you about your progress, wanting to see your work, wanting to see things that you're doing. And then at the end of three months, I'm going to pick several people and you're going to be on the show, which will be awesome exposure because thanks to you guys, we built such a huge loyal community of listeners. In addition to that, it'll just be really inspiring to everyone else. So go to nodayjobs.com and sign up for the challenge. You know, when you're hearing things on this show that you feel you go, oh yeah, uh uh-huh, that really speaks to me. I feel like those are things you already knew. I feel like I want to remind you, nobody's talking down to you. This is a show to remind you of what you know. You have so much wisdom. You have so much intuition about what you're supposed to be doing. So if there's a moment where you write something down or you hear someone say something and you think, gosh, that really speaks to me, I think it's because you already know that already. And I just want to pay a little homage to that because I know how wise and intuitive every person is and we come into this world really whole and it's just a matter of then uncovering what's already there and sometimes we've spent a lot of years of our life um, thinking about what makes other people happy or listening to other people's beliefs or ideas about our life and not really paying attention to what we already know. I want you guys to take a second, um, I know this might sound a little far out there, but see, see what happens. Take a second and close your eyes. And uh, I'll close my eyes too. So as I'm recording this now, my eyes are closed. Ask yourself, why are you listening to this show? What is it that you're here to hear? 
What is it that you're looking to hear to encourage you? What is it that you're hoping is going to be said that's going to really remind you of what you already know? That's going to be the thing, the catalyst that's going to help you have no more excuses and spend more time doing what you love. And why, while your eyes are still closed, ask yourself this, why do you really want to do this? What is that thing that's calling to you? What's that thing you've always really wanted to do? And why do you really want to do it? Why does it light you up? Why do you feel like that's going to add more value to your life and to the world? Just think about that for a second. All right, now you can open your eyes. As you listen to the show, I think it's a great idea for you to try to be concrete. And if something's inspiring, write it down. And write down a couple concrete, specific takeaways that you want to actually apply to your life that you can start doing because the action is going to be the cure-all. Taking action is going to help you start to see what's really happening and start to put ideas out there and start to flesh things out, hone your craft, and actually see the momentum taking form. So I'm going to be giving you takeaways. And if you want to see all the takeaways and any other highlights from the episode, you can go to don'tkeepyourdayjob.com slash podcast and you can click through all the episodes and you'll see sort of a cliff notes on each episode and the things that people said and the highlights about each guest as well as the takeaways that I recite at the end. But I'd love for you guys to write down a couple action items, things that you felt called to do, things that you felt inspired, things that made sense to you, and then take action. If you join the three-month challenge, you can be letting me know the action that you're taking. And by the end of three months, those of you who are in this process and in this three-month challenge, I will be choosing you to have on the show. You deserve to be happy. Happiness is not reserved for just a few people. Happiness is a... A birthright. Everyone deserves to figure out what's going to light you up. And life doesn't have to be just okay. Life doesn't have to be something we settle for. Life can be extraordinary. And when you follow your bliss, the opportunities that are going to come are going to blow your mind and the ways in which you are going to be able to reach your potential and serve the world by being your happiest you is going to affect so much change and it's going to really be more than you ever even anticipated. So that is my mission to help remind you of what lives within you and to encourage you to take some action. That's why we have all these different people on the show. We get to hear their stories and see how what they've done has worked and what are the through lines, what are the commonalities and what are things that you can then take from that. So go to nodayjobs.com, sign up for the three-month challenge. Please continue to support our show. If you're thinking, how can you support our show? Let me give you a couple ways you can do it. Number one, um, tell people about it. Post about it. If there's a quote that you love from the show, um, put it on Instagram, put it on Facebook, put it on Twitter. Another thing that you can do is support our sponsors. Um, By supporting our sponsors, you're definitely helping our show because then our our sponsors turn around and help us. Uh, You can also join the No Day Jobs Challenge because by doing so, uh, you become part of this smaller community of people who've joined the challenge and then I can keep in touch with you. And that really is awesome. You can also join our Facebook group um, and our Facebook page, Don't Keep Your Day Job, and just continue to be yourself and keep walking forward and being a light in the world Um, and being your most happy you. All right, so before we dive in, I want to say a big thank you to Slack for supporting our podcast. Slack is a messaging app that brings together all of your team's communications in one place, which makes it a lot easier to work together and be more productive. There's no more digging through thousands of emails looking for that one follow-up or switching across multiple tabs and platforms to keep updated with work. Slack helps you organize your team with real-time messaging, video or voice calls, group file sharing, and searchable archives all in one easy-to-use app. And if you're wondering, what about all the stuff I have on Google Drive or Dropbox? Well, Slack lets you drag all that Dropbox file sharing that works with apps you already use. Plus, you can tailor Slack to work with over 900 other apps. Slack, where work happens. Find out why at slack.com. 
Okay, now I also want to give a big shout out to Away for supporting this podcast. Away makes amazing, affordable, high quality suitcases that also charge your phone and prices start at just $225. By cutting out that middleman, Away is able to offer the perfect luggage made with high quality materials at much lower cost compared to luxury luggage competitors. The luggage comes in awesome colors. Mine is navy blue and I just love it. And I love that it can charge my phone because as most of us, you know, I'm always, you know, responding to people on social media and I have to do work when I'm traveling and it makes it really easy. I don't have to ever worry about, um, you know, my phone going out of power. I think you guys are going to love it. You can choose from a variety of colors and four sizes, the carry on, the bigger carry on, the medium and the large, and they're all less than $300. Plus there's two USB ports, which I think is just awesome and a high capacity battery. So I can charge multiple devices on the go away offers a risk-free hundred day trial period. So if at any point you decide it's not for you, just return it for a full refund. No questions asked. And it comes with a lifetime warranty. If anything breaks away, will fix it or replace it for life. Plus you can get free shipping anywhere in the lower 48 States. So if you want to try it out, which you definitely should away has a special offer just for you for $20 off your order, go to awaytravel.com slash dream job and use promo code dream job at checkout. That's awaytravel.com slash dream job. And the promo code is dream job. So I'm really excited on today's episode. We have Gretchen Rubin. She's somebody I followed since her book, uh, the happiness project came out. And, uh, I think it's really, really important important work that she's doing because I feel like most of the time we get really unconscious and we just sort of go day to day, we get into a routine, but we're not stopping to consciously say to ourselves, what really makes us happy and what can I be doing to have a more fulfilled, happier life, which is part of why I wanted to start the show because I think that happiness is an inside job. Happiness cannot be something that we put on our spouse or on the things that we you know, have. It's really going to come from inside of us. And I think that there's a lot of feeling like maybe I don't deserve it or maybe I need to live a life that's more practical and so I shouldn't do that obvious thing which is arranging flowers or playing the cello or doing sports. It's like there are certain things that are so obvious that when you do them you're going to live a happier existence and I think that we owe it to ourselves to make ourselves the most happy person we can be and the more that I continue to interview people and the more that I continue to follow my own path I realize that the single best way to change the world is to start with you and make yourself the happiest version of yourself. I loved having Rebecca on last week. Today, we have Gretchen Rubin on. Gretchen Rubin is the author of several books, including the blockbuster New York Times bestsellers, Better Than Before, The Happiness Project, and Happier at Home. She has an enormous readership, both in print and online, and her books have sold more than 2 million copies worldwide in more than 30 languages. On her popular weekly podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, she discusses good habits and happiness with her sister, Elizabeth Kraft, Her podcast was named in iTunes list of best podcasts of 2015 and was named in the Academy of Podcasters best podcast of 2016. She spent years of her life dedicated to figuring out how we can all be happier. And I think it's a really important question. I think that people overlook it a lot because our priority is something else. But day after day, I think that the thing we need to get busiest doing is figuring out how to be our most fulfilled self, because that is the best way for us to be inspiring to everybody else and to have the most to give to the world and to really offer what it is that we have to offer that's unique to us. So I'm so excited to have Gretchen here. So hi, Gretchen. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so happy to be talking to you today. (laughs) Um, You have such a wealth of knowledge. So I want to dive into all that. But first, I think our listeners would be really interested to hear about your own personal journey, because you started out in a different career. Is that right? I did. I started out in law. So I really had a great 
run in law. I was I went to Yale Law School. I was editor in chief of the Yale Law Journal. Yeah. Um, clerked. I clerked for Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. And it was while I was clerking on the Supreme Court that I got the idea that I actually wanted to be a writer. And so <laughs> um, it was not as easy as I make it sound, but. Really, in a nutshell, I went to the book. I had an idea for a book that I really wanted to write, and I went to the bookstore and bought a book called something like "How to Write and Sell Your Nonfiction Book Proposal," <laughs> and followed the directions. Um, <laughs> and then that's when I switched from being a law to a writer. Um, a lot of people think that the Happiness Project was my first book. It was actually my fourth book. So I'd been a writer for a while before I, I before I kind of entered a lot of people's consciousness as a writer. So what happened? I mean, first of all. That's a pretty big thing to switch after going to Yale Law School. Your parents were like, what? Yeah. Um, so what happened? You got that book on how to write a proposal, all that stuff. And then did you just get a book deal? What was the what happened? Well, I was really lucky because, I mean, as I'm sure, you know, you've you've seen a lot of times people know what they don't want, but they don't necessarily know what they do want. And so it's hard to switch because you don't know where you're going. You just know where what you want to leave behind. Mm -hmm. And in my case, it was much more wanting to go like I had. The, I was already working on a book, um, which became my first book, Power, Money, Fame, Sex, A User's Guide. And and I was sort <laughs> of obsessively working on it. So I knew that this was the project that I wanted to do. And, and I had lots of material. So, you know, so the first thing to get a book deal, of course, is you have to get an agent. Um, nowadays, you can be self-published if you um, can take on that work. But to be traditionally published, and certainly at the, the time when I was trying to get published, you had to go through the traditional routes. And for that, you needed an agent. So that was my really my first hurdle. And my biggest hurdle was getting an agent. And so I, I wrote an outline. I wrote a sample chapter. I wrote a you know, a pitch letter, a query letter, all that stuff, and had to go through the process of getting an agent. And did it happen quickly? Or were you persistent? Was there something that you feel like you have advice on that for people who want to do that? So my advice with agents is they are inundated with material on the one hand, but on the other hand, they're desperate for good material. So sure. uh, anything you can do to, to like catch the attention of an agent particularly is really helpful. If you have any connection to an agent, if you can be introduced by a friend or an acquaintance, or if you look in the acknowledgements of a book, like let's say you're writing a book that's like in the spirit of this other book, and you look in the acknowledgements of that book, and you see that that has the, been the agent for that book, that tells you, well, this agent has represented books that are kind of the same as my book. Sure. And so that yeah. might be a connection. One thing I would also say is that often, and I saw this when I was looking at letters for law students applying to the Supreme Court too, um, sometimes what we want to do when we're applying for something is explain to the person why we so want it, why yeah. we so want to be a writer, why this is such an important mission for me, why I'm so, you know, why I really, you know, want to put words on paper and why this is really important to me. The thing to remember is that it's that is not their job. Your personal satisfaction is not right, their right. job. What's right. compelling to them is I can write an excellent book that's going to connect with many readers. Mm -hmm. How to solve their problem. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't want to emphasize like why it's important to you because that's just not their job. Their job yeah. is to is to deliver a book. And so I think that's that's kind of a mistake that sometimes people make is not focusing on what the project will hold for the audience. True. So thinking about what really, what are they trying to do every day? They're trying to connect with readers and thinking about how to solve that. So you published this first book and how did it do? How did your first it book? It did okay. It didn't do great, but it did okay. It did enough that I could get a second book published. And that is mm -hmm. the thing. And that, that's kind of the punishing thing about traditional publishing is you have to be 
you have to get sell the next book. That's a big concern for writers is, are they going to be able to get a contract for the next book? Some of the books have done better. Some have not done very well, but I've always, I've always been able to get the next book published. So The Happiness Project was your fourth book. And The Happiness mm-hmm. Project has become sort of, it was a turning point. What do yes. you think made that shift for you? Why did it go from decent, good books to one of the most amazing, most popular books that everyone has on their shelf? What do you think <laughs> made that Oh, thank you for that description. Yeah, I will put that on the jacket. It's um, true. Yeah. Well, I, I think that there's a couple of things that I did. Uh, one of them is I think I just, I had this idea for a happiness project. In, initially, it was just going to be for me. And then I realized that it was such an interesting subject that I wanted to write a whole book about it. So that was just like, I had a great subject. And it wasn't like I strategically figured it out. Like, ooh, this is like SEO, you know, whatever. It's just the book that I wanted to write. And I was fortunate because I wrote a biography of Churchill. I liked writing that book just as much, but it didn't connect with an audience in the same way. Why did you want to write a book on the happiness project? Were you feeling unhappy or were you just feeling like you were curious? You know, I just realized I was thinking, well, you know, I say I say if if I'm like, what do I really want from life? I would say I want to be happy. But I realized I didn't spend any time thinking about whether I was happy or how I could be happier. I just never thought about it. Um, And so I thought, oh, I should have a happiness project and like really think about what I'm interested in and what what makes me happier. And I should have a happiness project. And that was the those were the words that I thought. And so that's what I started. What would it mean for me to be happier? What would I work on? What I would work on is not the same thing as that Kathy would work on because right. our interests are different. Our values are different. Our, you know, we have different temperaments. So what would it mean for me? And kind of what, it, what do the great minds of history and science tell us would probably be good places to put time and energy if you want to be happier. And it's interesting because now my sister and I have this podcast, Happier. And in Happier, we talk about all the little things that you can do to make yourself happier. And what's interesting is, you know, different things resonate with different people because there's not like, oh, here's the top 10, seven things that every happy person does. You've got to figure out that list for yourself. You can't get that off BuzzFeed because it's going to be different for everyone. I mean, this is just fascinating because I do feel like like what you said is everyone wants to be happy, but how much time did you actually spend on that? So I've read this book and I think most people have read it, but we're going to get to your next book and your next book and the one coming out. (laughs) Um, But starting with The Happiness Project, it's let's talk about it for just a minute because it was so incredible and I think people should go out and get it if they haven't. So you took a year to do different projects to see, you know, how you could sort of um, explore different areas of your life and making yourself happier in different ways. Can you kind of walk us through what you, what, what did you get out of that year? What were some of the highlights for you? What are the things that you explored and learned? Well, you know, so what I did is I thought like, well, what are the 12 areas that I would work on? Like, you know, obviously I would pick marriage and parenthood. And, um, but then I also pick things like energy. My first chapter was on energy because I felt like, well, if I have energy, then Mm -hmm. everything else will be easier because there's a lot of things that, you know, would make you happier, but you just are too tired to do them. Yeah. And then what I decided I would do is I would pick three or four concrete manageable things within each category of things that I could actually do. And I really recommend this for people when they're trying to be happier, because a lot of times people set aims that to me are too abstract. Like, I want to be kinder. I want to live in the moment. I want to eat healthfully. Well, eat healthfully sounds specific, but what does it really mean? I think usually what I found in my happiness project and what I think works better for people is to say, like, take it a step further and say, what would that actually look like? If you're going to eat healthier, it's like, right. I'm going to eat breakfast every day. I'm going to bring a homemade lunch from home. I'm Be going concrete. to- Give yourself yeah. something. Yeah. So, 
Yeah. Yes. So that you know if you're doing it or not. And so, you know, and this is what led ultimately to my habits book because I realized how much habits came to play in Oh my making... God, I cannot wait to get into that because yeah. that book is amazing. And oh, that is, oh. Thank you. Thank you. In the happiness project, I mean, gosh, we don't have 17 hours to talk. So we're going to kind of have to skip through it. But everybody listening should, you should go get the book. You should have it. Most of you probably do. Um, but one of the things that you do talk about in there is pursuing a passion. And this whole show is about, figuring out what's that whisper and how do you really spend more time find, you know, doing what you love. Tell us about that chapter. Tell us about pursuing your passion and why that makes people happy. Well, you know, to have a happy life, we have to have the upsides and we also have to have, we want to get rid of the things that are making us angry or bored or resentful, but just just eliminating the negatives isn't enough to make us happy. We have to have the positives. And one of the thing about your passion is like for a lot of times for people, if it's, if it's not represented in their life, you know, for a year or two, it's fine, maybe, but at a certain point, life starts to kind of lose its savor and there's something missing. And I think for a lot of people, this can become, it can sort of blow up into like a major kind of life crisis. If yeah, you feel like, yeah oh my gosh, is this all there is? Have I made a terrible mistake? Is it too right. late now to go What's back? What's my purpose here? Yeah, why yeah. am I here? Yeah. Why am I here? What am I doing? Have I made all the wrong decisions? And so I think that making time and seeing that as a priority is really, really valuable. Now, one thing I found, and I don't know if you found this, is that sometimes people get kind of freaked out by pursue your passion. Like the word passion for sure. some people is really scary. It's and loaded, they're like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have a passion or right. like, well, my passion is for the real housewives and that's not legitimate or whatever. <laughs> right. And so I think it's whatever you would want to, however you would want to frame it for yourself that makes it feel like it's something that is really important to you to include in your life. For some people, it might be nature, connecting with nature. It's not mm -hmm. that it's so important how they connect with nature, but whether they're walking in the woods on the weekends or they're planting a garden or they're using their vacations to go to national parks right. or, you know, they're just taking time every day to like gaze up at the sky and see the changing light and really notice the clouds. Right. Like for some people, if they don't have that element, their lives don't feel right. And the thing that's weird about a passion is how easily it slips out. I don't know if you've been astonished by this, but I'm amazed by people will be like, I spent my whole childhood and all my time in college with music. And I went to concerts and I played music and I was in a band and I, and I took courses in it. And then, and then, then I got a job and I got married and I have kids and I have no music in my life. And I'm like, Oh my God. Yes. Well, bring that back. I mean, right. that's like low hanging right. fruit. You know, right. I can just guarantee you, if you dust off that cello and buy yourself some season tickets, you're yeah. going to feel so happy. It's so interesting. It's like, don't overthink it. Just yes. what's that thing that you love to do. Just yes. do more of that instead well, of, yeah, yeah, I feel like a lot of people, I want to ask you what you think about this. Cause I know in my own life, you know, I feel like people put their happiness on other people. I want my husband mm -hmm. to make me happy or oh, whatever. Yeah. So true. So and true. I love this quote I saw on Facebook. Someone put like happiness is an inside job. I think people don't necessarily take responsibility for their own happiness. How do you start to make that shift? Because I think subconsciously we're just looking at everything around us. You make me happy. You should make me happy. This should make me happy when we, we need to go do it ourselves. How, how do you make that, that move? That is such an important point. And so many people say to me, like, well, I can't do a happiness project because my husband doesn't want to do one. And I'm like, oh, well, my God. husband doesn't want to do one either. My oh, husband God. could not be less interested. Like, right. it doesn't matter. And I think you're exactly right. And it's so easy to think like, well, I would be happy if other people would behave properly. 
And yeah. so it's for them to change yeah. so that I can be happier. And it just, right. we can't control other people. So the only people that we, the only person that we can change is ourselves. The only person we can control is ourselves. And so in the end, we have to look for happiness within what's within the ambit of our own actions and thoughts. Uh, now, what I have found is like when I change, a relationship changes. So sometimes when oh, I change, powerful. other yeah. people have changed, but not because I've changed them, but just because the changes that I've made in myself right. have helped them to change. Yeah, that makes sense. So for instance, like I'm like this crazy low carb person. Like I really, really eat low carb. Mm -hmm. And my husband never like went low carb the way I did. Like overnight, I gave up carbs and he just gradually moved in that direction. But he's pretty strict about it now. And even my children who I don't at all because of right. the dreaded backlash, I, you know, they eat Halloween candy. We hunted yeah. for candy on Easter, that whole business. They have dessert if they want it, but even they have changed, not because I've imposed it on them, right. though I probably bored them with my little, oh, did you see this in the newspaper today or whatever, sure, sure. but just because when one person changes, <laughs> other people do change. And so, so it's not like change is not possible, but it's always start with yourself. I hear yeah. that. My one question for you, because this comes up all the time with our listeners and people emailing me things. I think there's a there's a feeling like I don't deserve to be happy or like, you know, happiness is for someone else. Um, but there's this feeling of almost like shame around, you know, well, shouldn't I be saving the world? How is me pursuing mm, my art yes. or doing nature? Like I shouldn't do that. Instead I should yep. do something, you know, how do you make that leap of like, no, you deserve it and allow yourself. And that is changing the world. Well, so you're exactly right. And that, that anxiety takes two forms. It's either given all the comforts, in my life, if I'm not happy or I want to be happier, I must be a spoiled brat. Yeah. Or it's saying, given all the suffering in the world, it's not appropriate for me to seek to be happier. That's exactly right. Yeah. But what research shows is that actually happier people are more interested in the problems of the world and they're more interested in the problems of other people. They're more altruistic. They give away more money. They volunteer more time. They're more likely to help out if a family member or a colleague or a friend needs a hand. That's fascinating. I wouldn't yeah, have known have that. The, wow. That's yeah, we have the uh, emotional wherewithal to turn outward and to think about the problems of the world and to think about how what we might do to help. And when we're unhappy, we tend to become isolated and defensive and preoccupied with our own problems because we're not happy. And also happy people make better leaders and better followers. They have more energy. They're healthier. They have healthier habits. And one of the, this is, I have my splendid truths of happiness. And <laughs> one thing that everybody understands and it's one of the nicest things about human nature is that one of the best ways to make yourself happy is to make other people happy. Yeah, but what people often don't realize is that is the corollary, which is that one of the best ways to make other people happy is to be happy yourself. Right. And so it is a false choice to think I can think about the world or I can think about myself. You can think about the world and you can think about yourself and you're probably much better able to think about the world if you also think about yourself. So you're putting aside your own happiness generally doesn't help other people. The thing I hear a lot from our listeners is, well, if I have a idea for a job that's responsible versus a job that just makes me happy, shouldn't I go do the thing that, um, you know, is going to pay the bills and is more practical? Or do you think like, no, being happy is enough? Like, which one is mm. better? Having a job mm. that's going to pay you $100,000 <laughs> out the gate or doing floral design, but it really makes you happy. What do you mm. think is the better choice? 
Well, I think a lot of times that's a false choice or it's an imaginary choice. Like in your mind, you've kind of decided that those are your two options, but are those the only options? You know, it's rare that life is like you're handed an apple and an orange and forced to pick. I think a lot of times people pose a choice to themselves in order to make them either to let themselves off the hook or to you know, sort of exonerate themselves from responsibility. So what you're really saying is financial security is very important to me, but I also have interests that are valuable to me. Okay. So given that, where do we go from here? You know what I mean? It's not like, okay, you can be a first year associate at a law firm or you can, you know, be a bridal photographer. You know, are those really the choices that are before you? Are they actual choices? And are they the only choices? Are you saying that there might be a third option? Like, can you make a good living doing what you love? Can you figure out a way to make a living? Right. Yeah. Is there a way to get more financial security? Like, okay, well, maybe I'm not going to go freelance because then I'm really living gig to gig. And that's very, but maybe I could get a, a job where I have a salary and I have some health benefits. Maybe it's not the pay I could have had, but I have the financial security that lets me sleep today. Or there's a great podcast um, called Side Hustle School by Chris Gillibo, where he yeah. talks about having a side hustle. And it's like, these are money-making gigs where you really, it's a way to have security and freedom and to ex- do something else. And so maybe you're like, okay, well, maybe it's maybe it's not one or the other, but can I have both? Can I have this? D- would it work to have this and then also the side gig? With some jobs, that would be possible and other jobs that would not be possible. And, and also fin- saying that you want to be financially secure, that's really important, happiness value. Like that, it's like sometimes people feel like it's almost illegitimate to, to say true, that. True, true. Oh my gosh. It's like the greatest luxury that money can buy is the luxury not to have to worry about money all the time. So, so don't feel sheepish or somehow like you have no imagination or creativity or you're somehow, uh, there's something wrong with you. Right. Or either way, either that you want to do something creative and expressive or that you want to do something that is going to be more predictable. Yeah. I want to get into Better Than Before because this book is, like you said in the beginning about taking things and making them concrete, I feel like The Happiness Project was was your, you know, you sort of went through this 12-month period and then you went even deeper um, because the habit is really the thing that's going to allow somebody to really have momentum. Yes. And make it. So I want to talk about um, some of the things that you talk about in this book because um, I want to shed light on this. So let's go through it a little bit. Um, in the beginning, you're talking about your ability to be self-aware, right? And, and yep. notice what that is. How do you do that? How do you, you know, sometimes people have a blind spot. They have this habit. They don't even notice it's a habit and they just yep. constantly get frustrated or they have road rage or they're unhappy and they're thinking yep. negative thoughts. How do you notice that? Well, see, and that's like a huge theme with better than before, because one of the things that I really try to do is to, is to like pull out distinctions or to label things that often people don't have a word for or had never really thought about how other, how they might be different from other people. Because sometimes, you know, some people say like, if you define me, you can find me, which I get. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like sometimes giving a label to something or like identifying a pattern really shines a spotlight on something. So for instance, something that really comes up is abundance lovers and simplicity lovers. And you will often see like, you know, a crowded desk means a crowded mind or, you, you know, we'd be happier with less or, oh, it's really more, you know, creative people are messy. Um, You know, look at this person from history and how messy they are. Therefore, we should all, you know, we should all pat ourselves on the back if we're messy. So what I realize is there's abundance lovers and simplicity lovers. Simplicity lovers, like, 
clean surfaces, bare walls. They don't like, you know, they like quiet. They like few choices mm -hmm. and they feel like that's what helps their productivity and creativity. And then abundance lovers like buzz and collections and profusion and choice and a lot going on. And they feel like that stimulates their creativity and productivity. And it's not that one person's right or one person's wrong. It's just that we need to create an environment where we can both thrive. And so if you have those labels and like you and your spouse are having a conflict with how many, how much stuff you have on the tables in your living room, or you're at your office and your desk mate is driving you crazy, you can say, Hey, I get it because you're this way and I'm that way. And so we just have different preferences. So how do we work this out amongst ourselves instead of having right. to point the finger and say, you're right, I'm wrong, or I'm right, you're wrong. Uh, it's just, we're different. And so the whole book is, is, I try to point out lots of differences as they relate to habits so that people can't like, cause if you're an abundance lover, you might like to join a gym that has music and people and a lot of different classes to choose from and a lot going on. And if you're a simplicity yeah. lover, like I go to a gym where I do strength training for 20 minutes, no music, no mirrors, no waiting, no people. That is it. Mm -hmm. I love that because I'm a simplicity lover. So again, like it, it sheds a light and lets you create environments that are going to allow you to thrive in the in the sense of like you know for listeners of our show and they they want to make their lives happier more fulfilling they want to start a project but there's probably things that they don't even notice are habits that keep them stuck and maybe they're afraid of their own inadequacy so they don't begin something or a lot of people say oh, i don't have the time and probably because mm. they have a lot of Ooh. habits of like watching tv or doing so one of the things that i talk about in better than before and it's the subject of my whole next book which is called the four tendencies is a personality framework that i developed that divides all of humanity into four categories upholders questioners obligers and rebels and the kind of thing that you were just saying are exactly the things that obligers say so the definition of an obliger is someone who readily meets outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. So this is the person who never misses a work deadline, but has a lot of trouble like practicing piano on his mm. or her own. Or like, you know, a friend of mine said, well, when I was in high school, I was on the track team. I've never missed track practice. So why can't I go running now? Well, with a team and a coach waiting, no problem. Right. Just going on your own a struggle. So when people are like, oh, there's something really important to me, but I can't make the time or I put others first mm -hmm. or I don't put enough priority on my own tasks and projects. That to me says obliger. And so here's the solution for obligers. This is yeah, like the, one of the most asking. important. How do you change that? Yeah, yeah. The most important thing in the book. So what obligers often do is they work on inner motivation. They try to make themselves more committed to an inner expectation. That does not work. And often it just ends up with, with obligers feeling more defeated and kind of out of control of themselves and feeling like, why is it something so important to me? Why I, I so desperately want to exercise and be healthier. Why can't I do it? I so much want to write a novel. Why can't I do it? Why do I keep letting myself down? It has nothing to do with willpower or self-control or anything like that. Obligers, the biggest tendency. This is the one that most people fit into. The easy solution, the answer, the thing that will always solve your problem is outer accountability. What you need to plug in to that aim is outer accountability. If you want to write a novel in your free time, you need to join a writer's group where everybody's really going to hold each other accountable for writing. You need to get a coach. You need to take a class where you absolutely positively have to hand in your work. You need to wow. have, a, have a situation where like your kids are doing your homework and you're writing on your novel and you're like, hey, kids. If you see that I'm not writing my novel, you don't have to do your homework. So it's a night off if I'm not working. And they're like, hey, mom, why don't you take a night off of writing your novel? We could all use a break. And did you say those people fit into this category? That's what you said before. Is that right? 
I think the people who make the kind of make the statements that you made are oh, very those... often obligers. They think everybody feels that way, but everybody doesn't feel that way. And what about other habits? I mean, there's so many people who have this like perfectionism, like they're not going to begin mm. anything because they're afraid they're going to fail at it or they're not going to be perfect. So they're going to wait till they're perfect. Or since they'll never be perfect, they're just not going to try because it's too uncomfortable to do something that's not perfect. Well, it's interesting. You know, perfectionism is not a matter of standards. It's a matter of anxiety. So I think people who tell themselves that they're perfectionists really have to say, it's not that I have such high standards and that is kind of, there's something kind of good about that. What it is is that I'm too anxious. And so I think for some people that is just a helpful reframing of the problem because the idea of perfection is very confusing. So absolutely the idea of I need to start at an auspicious time, like I'm not going to buy an apartment until I get married or I'm not going to buy new clothes until I lose 20 pounds or I'm not going to look for a new job until you know, I finished this class, but I haven't even started taking the class. And by the way, I haven't even taken the test that I would need to take in order to qualify to take the class. So, and that's one of the things I talk about better than before is starting is how do you start? Because starting is so, so important. So powerful. How do you start when you're so stuck? Well, it's complicated. In the book, I can take you through sort of all the different things because it sort of matters what kind of person you are and what kind of Like, I think what happens a lot of times is people don't set things up in the way that is right for them. And so then they quickly fail and then they feel like they have no self-control or no willpower or whatever. But really, it's because they've set it up in the wrong way. So, for instance, let's say somebody really wants the habit of exercise, but they're like, you know what? I've made this New Year's resolution three times in a year and I always break it. I keep trying to start things. It doesn't work for me. Okay, so I would have a million things to say to you. I would say, are you a morning person or a night person? Because if you're a night person who's trying to get up early and go running, that's your problem right there. It's not the exercise. It's you can't get out of bed. And I don't know why you think you can because you know you can't. And just the fact that you can read online about how everybody says you should get up early and do something, you know yourself. You're a night person. You're at your most productive energy and cre- energetic and creative later in the day. You're setting yourself up for failure by trying to schedule that run for 730. It's just not a good idea for you. So again, or it's another thing like I want to give up sugar. Okay. I want to give up sugar, but I'm going to have a cheat day once a week. Okay. Well, so one of the things I talk about is abstainers versus moderators. For abstainers, it's much easier to give something up altogether than it is to indulge in moderation. Like they're kind of all or nothing. They can have none, but once they start, they go all the way. But moderators get kind of crazy and rebellious if they're told they can never have something. So they like, they need to have Mm -hmm. like one square of fine chocolate every day or so. And that's all they need. So you're saying know know yourself, set yourself up to succeed. Don't just, you know. Don't just assume that like, oh, this worked for my brother-in-law, so I'll do it and it'll work for me. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. And so you really have to think about like, well, what, and this sounds complicated, but I think like if you read the book, it's not that complicated because they're very obvious things. Like one of the questions is, is there a time in your life when you succeeded in this? It's not working for you now, but can you think back to a time when it did work? And you're like, yeah, there was that time in college or, oh, when we were first married. And then you're like, okay, clues. There are clues in that experience. What was different then? Often it's very obvious. It's just that people don't think about it. You know, they just think this is the way I should do it. Other people succeed doing this. Maybe trained professionals are telling me that. I mean, I can't tell you how many nutritionists actually tell me as an abstainer that it's not healthy. It's not healthy to be so rigid. You shouldn't be so hard on yourself. Right. You should but that's have what a, works for you. That's what works for me. It's way but so easier. How do you, I mean, I feel like so much of our lives are spent being so unconscious and not noticing what we're doing. And so much of what you're saying that the, the knowledge of self-awareness is really what's going to help you start something and know how to start it. And do you have any advice for that? Like, do you keep 
a journal for a few days and notice what you do? Or do you just, you know, try to spend more time noticing certain behavior or ask somebody to reflect to you? How do you start to understand that about yourself so you can really, I mean, I hate to say go read my book, but I mean, that is what my whole book (laughs) is about. Like it is that. It helps you you identify yourself because you've identified different personality types and I see. I've tried to find out everything that I could think of that was a distinction in human nature that I could see that affected how people would successfully change their habits. And are you talking about Better Than Before or your your book that's coming, The Four Tendencies? This is Better Than Before is all about habit change and it's all those things. But what I found when I wrote Better Than Before was that these four tendencies, upholder, questioner, obliger, and rebel, that's all anybody wanted to talk about. You know, they were like, oh my gosh, now that I know that my husband's a rebel, everything is clear to me, but I have 15 questions for you, you know? And so so I kept, you know, writing these emails back, answering these questions. And I thought, man, I need to write a book because I came up with this framework. So I'm kind of like the world's only expert in it, which is fun. It's actually really fun to be the only, like the only known, like, cause I, cause I was the one who identified it, but because there was so much curiosity about the implications of, because in better than before, it's just one aspect that I talk about. I talk about 21 strategies that you can use to make or break your habits and they're all powerful. They're all effective. And, and the strategy of the four tendencies was just one of the 21 strategies But it turned out that this was overwhelmingly what people, because that has has not only to do with habits, but it all has also has to do with like what kind of career you'll succeed in. Like Mm -hmm. if your child's having trouble in school, why that might be. Um, If if you have a lot of conflict, like what might be the roots of that conflict? Even things as dumb as like if you're putting a sign above the sink in the kitchen to try to get people to put their dirty dishes away. There's different ways that you can write that sign that are going to they're going to be more effective because it's very easy to forget how differently other people see the world. You think the world is the world. We're all more or less the same. We all are more or less the same. But the differences are very important. They really matter. And so the four tendencies is one of the ways that we're all very different from each other. But there's many ways. And they, and they matter when you're trying to understand yourself. And I'm just curious as we're wrapping up, because you've done all this work, what are the things for yourself that you realize make you happy? What are the things that you were able to notice and change mm. and, and make differences in your own happiness levels? Well, like one of the things that I did, and this again is, you know, back to your point about it's so hard to know yourself. So One of the things that's true about me is I'm a crazy fan of children's literature and young adult literature, and I have been my whole life. And one of the things that I realized in the Happiness Project was this was an interest of mine. This was a passion of mine, but it sort of didn't fit my idea of myself as like a sophisticated reader. And I never really talked about it with other people. And I didn't really spend that much time reading children's literature and YA literature. And, and then I thought, you know, I don't have so many passions that I can just kick this one under the rug. And I thought, okay, I'm going to, I cleared off a bunch of shelf space. I did this in Happier at Home. I created a bunch of shelf space and, and kind of like a whole shrine to children's literature with my, my Gryffindor banner and all that oh, stuff. Sweet. And started these children's literature book groups because it turned out I never talked about it. And I never heard other people talking about it. But when I started talking about it, I found all these people who I already knew, very bookish people who love children's literature. And so many people wanted to join these groups that there are now three groups. And these are like joys of my life because I'm wow. it's like what I love more than anything. And it's also been good for me professionally because it's a bunch of bookish people. So I know all these people in book publishing who I wouldn't otherwise know. But we share this interest. We're like, oh, my God, you know, like talking about like the later, later, later Anne of Green Gables books or, you know, the Hate You Give or something. 
but like, that's one of the things I really learned was look to yourself again. What's the low hanging fruit. And for me, it was like, this is this thing I love, but I don't spend any time with it. I don't talk to anybody about it. I don't have a place for it in my apartment. Well, I need to make room for it in my life. And now it's just a giant engine of happiness for me. That's amazing. And and it sounds like it also helped in other ways, your career, as you met people you didn't think you were going to meet. Yes, absolutely. And, now, and then I did this thing, and people can email me to request it or look on my blog uh, for it. I did my like 81 favorite works of children's literature. These are my 81 top favorites. So the oh, minute you put awesome. out a list like that, people are like, oh, but you forgot this, you forgot that. And so now yeah, I have this yeah. gigantic running list of all these other wonderful books that people are like, oh, but you forgot about this one. And then I'm like, oh, I never read that one. So right. it's, it's, it's helped me engage in my own individual life, but then also because of the internet's amplification, it's like I've engaged with a whole bunch of people that I wouldn't sure. have otherwise engage sure. with. So it, and again, it's something like, if you had said to me, is this a strategic thing for you to do? I've been like, no, actually it's kind of embarrassing, right? Like why is a grown woman <laughs> right. talking about Anna Green Gables? Yeah, because like, you love it. Yeah. So what do you think to sum up about happiness, about people carving out that time and how ultimately do you think that really does lead us to where we're meant to go or, or do we need to, you know, ne not necessarily think about it so much, but be more responsible and just do other things and just carve out a little time for our happiness? Well, that's an interesting question. I don't think that people spend too much time thinking about happiness. This is the thing people often argue to me. Oh, people sort of trip over their own feet and they're so preoccupied with being happier. They don't think about anything else or they actually get unhappy because they're so worried about the fact that they're not happier. In my experience, this, this is not the case. In my experience, most people, and I was certainly one of them, didn't spend nearly enough time thinking about happiness and thinking about what could I do in, as part of my ordinary day without spending a lot of time, energy, or money, what could I do to be happier? And for most people, there's a lot of stuff that they can do to be happier. And so yeah. I think just start, you know, I did it in a very systematic way because that's the kind of person that I am. But not everybody wants to be systematic. So there's no right way or wrong way to do a happiness project. But I think just about anyone could benefit from it. Um, because when you start thinking, like, what are my interests? What are my values? What's my temperament like? How can I have more fun, more excitement, more friendship, yeah. less boredom, anger, anxiety, resentment? I mean, yeah. there's stuff. There's stuff to do. So to close, what do you think for someone listening who's sitting and they're, they're doing something they don't really love day after day? And what's your advice to them if they have a passion? You know, I think that if there are people who have some aim in their life that, that feels important, that's drawing them to it, and yet they feel like whether circumstances are preventing it or because for whatever reason they're not making progress, I think what's really helpful is just getting out the old pad of paper and pen and start writing down what are the small concrete steps that I could take that yes. would take me closer? Is there information that I need? Are there people that I need to meet? Is there experiences mm -hmm. that I could have? Could I volunteer in a way to like get an experience of what it would be to do like this? Could I apprentice? Could I take someone out to lunch? Could I start reading trade mm -hmm. publications? Could I go to conferences? Could I just be reading things online? I, you know, I have a friend who wants to start a textile business and she's sort of got the end very much in sight, but she has no vision of like what's between A and Z. And she's right. like, I'm just trying to do an informational interview once a week to get started. And she's like, at a certain point, I think I'm going to gather steam. But she started, you know, and like, and once she started, then I'm like, oh, I know somebody who'd be super helpful to you who doesn't know oh, about this part of it, but knows yeah. this other part of it. Because now she's in it. It started. And so then other people start to 
be able to hook in and, and feed that. But if you never yeah. start, then it might be something that like somebody doesn't even know that you've always wanted to do. I was in a large group and I was talking to this woman and she sort of got into conversation with me saying that her big dream was that she was going to go back to textile preservation and her dream job would be to work in the conservation office of a museum working on textiles and her husband comes up and is silently listening and he's like I literally had no idea that you were interested in that and I was like oh my god this is her a problem husband. right <laughs> like this is her dream and she's never mentioned it to her husband I'm like you need to make a list you need to articulate yeah. this I'm like that is not an impossible dream but it's going to take some prep work. You know, you can't just apply for that job tomorrow, but there's probably very clear things and people would be very excited to talk to you about that, you know? Interesting. So I think specific, concrete, concrete, yeah. manageable, day after day. We often overlook what we can do over the long term if we just do a little bit every day. Awesome. Where can people find you, Gretchen? And when does your next book come out? Uh, the Four Tendencies book comes out September 12th. You can take a quiz online if you want to find out if you're an upholder, a questioner, an obliger, or rebel at happiercast.com slash quiz. You can see everything, all my bits and bobs are at gretchenrubin.com. That's R-U-B-I-N.com. And my podcast is called Happier with Gretchen Rubin. And I do it with my, my sister, the sage, Elizabeth Kraft. Oh my God. Amazing. You're literally like a guru. Like you speak and you, <laughs> you, every time I ask you a question, you're like, of course, here's the answer. Oh. It's just incredible how much time you have spent devoted um, to things that really, truly matter. Um, and I, I so appreciate your work and the ripple effects that it has in this world. And thank you for sharing all this with thank us. Thank you. It was so much fun to talk to you. I'm awesome. so happy to have talked to you. Awesome. All right, everybody go check out her podcast and buy her books and you'll get her next book very soon. You can pre-order that too as well. Is that correct? Yes. Awesome. Okay. Thank you, Gretchen. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was so much fun, Gretchen. Thank you. You are so smart. You are a wealth of knowledge. Here are some of my takeaways. Number one, our passions sometimes tend to slip away, but you got to bring it back. Number two, change always starts with yourself. Number three, one of the best ways to make yourself happy is to make other people happy. And one of the best ways to make other people happy is to be happy yourself. Number four, don't look at your options as black and white, this or that. It's possible to have both. Number five, when you're making goals, get to know yourself better. You'll set yourself up for success and not failure. Number six, we're all more or less the same, but the differences are really important, especially when you're understanding who you are. Number seven, ask yourself what makes you truly happy and how can you make space for it? And number eight, we overlook what we can do over the long term if we just do a little bit every day. Thank you guys for listening to Don't Keep Your Day Job. Please share it with your friends. This community has become so incredibly supportive and encouraging, and we're creating a movement of people who are listening to that whisper and taking responsibility for their own happiness and doing what they love a little bit, and you're going to create serious momentum. And so the show has been a grassroots effort, and thanks to you, um, we've really grown such an incredible audience, not just in numbers, but in the engagement and how supportive everyone is to one another. So come to the Facebook page, post what you're up to, go to nodayjobs.com and sign up for the three month challenge because not only will I be checking in with you and sending you some inspiration and some encouragement, but at the end of three months, I'm going to be choosing several people who completed the challenge and having you on the show as a guest so that you can share your story and your progress, which will be really inspiring to everyone else. I am so happy that you guys are subscribing to the show. Please continue to subscribe and tell your friends to subscribe. It really makes a huge difference when you not only support our sponsors, but when you post 
post about the show, when you tweet about it, when you Instagram about it. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at Kathy.Heller. You can follow me on Twitter at Kathy Heller, Kathy with a C. And all the ways that you're supporting our show truly make a difference. And one of the best ways is for you to support our sponsors, because when you do that, the sponsors turn around and support us. So thank you for helping us um, do what we love to do, which is remind you of how unbelievably amazing and unique you are and how you've got to get busy sharing what you have with the world. I want to give a shout out to the amazing team who makes this show possible. Special thanks to our executive producer, Tim Street, and producer, Emma Kikuchi. The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com. 